All right. Well, good to see you here this morning. May the blessings and uh, joy of the Lord be multiplied to you this morning in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're joining us for the live stream, we're glad to have you with us as well. It is a beautiful morning to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. But before we do that, let me give you uh, some announcements and slash reminders. Uh, next Sunday, we are having a congregational meeting immediately following the service. It should be pretty, pretty short, pretty concise to the point. Um, aside from a, a very short uh, updates, uh, in addition to that, the main things that we want to cover with you is one, uh, we want to bring someone into membership, and also we want to review for you the, uh, the financials, let you know how the church has been doing thus far financially up until this point in the calendar year. Uh, so that'll be immediately following the service next week. We'll have some, some snacks as well. Uh, in addition to that, uh, also next Sunday, uh, we're going to have a sort of a special presentation during the Sunday school hour. So many of you know Reshma. Uh, she'll be up uh, this coming week and be staying up in New Hampshire for the next couple of weeks. And so she is actually going to be sharing during the, 90, during the Sunday school hour from 9 to 10. Uh, so uh, if you have not had a chance uh, to, to meet her or if it's, or you don't know what your weeks will look like and being able to catch up with her or not, uh, that will be a perfect opportunity for you to sort of catch up with her or to know more about her story uh, and sort of a get a status update um, and ask some questions. And also, we are going to be providing a very small breakfast as well. So come on time, grab something to eat, go to the table in the fellowship hall, and we can uh, sort of just listen um, and just be able to ask her some questions as well during that time. Uh, also, uh, next Monday is, the, is start, the start of the Homemakers Club, so hopefully some of you ladies have had uh, some information uh, given to you, but if you have any questions about that or want to know more about it, please see Caitlin after the service. Uh, and then the last thing I'll mention is that uh, I've pretty, uh, dropped the ball in mentioning this, so it seems sort of like very last minute, but we do have a, a men's retreat coming up in June 9th to the 10th uh, at a place up in somewhere in New Hampshire. What? Thank you. Yes. Mary Meeting Lake. Uh, so if you cannot come uh, overnight, you're welcome to come for part of it. Uh, just let us know. Either talk to myself or talk to James uh, if you want more information. But please let us know as soon as possible because space is limited. So that's all I have. Let's move on and let us worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever the saints gather, it is Christ's invitation to come. Come to Jesus Christ. So come to the Lord to receive fresh, uh, fresh encouragement, fresh strength, uh, fresh pouring of his grace as you worship him and listen to the word and as we pray together. No matter what your week has been, no matter what struggles you've had in your life, no matter what sins you may be personally struggling with, the Lord Jesus invites all to come to him this morning and receive his grace. And so let us do just that. Let us go before the Lord present ourselves as living sacrifices to the worship and glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, let's stand. Amen. Let's worship this morning. <clears throat> Word of God says, O come, and let us sing to the Lord, right? Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving, and let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Amen. Amen. All right. <clears throat>
together. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend. And who would have thought that a lamb would rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. Counselor, counselor, comforter. Good pleasure, save 
songs of gratefulness ever rise and never cease. Love by God and called as a saint, my heart is satisfied in the riches of can see and experience because of your grace, Father. Lord, we are grateful for our gathering this morning. Lord, you are worthy of our gathering, worthy of our praise. You've you've given us life to wake up and and enjoy the beautiful weather outside today and be able to come and gather and fellowship Father, and, and be able to sit, Lord, under your word and sing songs of praise. Lord, continue to work in our hearts. And may our hearts be open, Lord, to receive your word today. God, you are worthy of our praise. You've given us your mercies this morning. And we can sit under your grace as well, Father, and be edified in that way. But Lord, let us lift our eyes heavenly, upwards, Lord, and worship you in all, in all things this morning, for you're worthy. Give us grateful hearts, Lord, that ever rise and never cease, as we just sang. You are worthy of our praise. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, you may be seated. At this time, we'll be dismissing our children to their classrooms as well. Amen. I'm going to read to us from Psalm 133, and then we will pray. Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. 
O Lord, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. It is in the, in this, in the community of believers. It is in the fellowship of the saints that your presence dwells, where your presence rests. And it is in that fellowship, it is in that walking in unity that the saints are encouraged, that those saints who are weary from the trials and tribulations of their life are strengthened. It is in the community of believers where the saints who have been bogged down and burdened by the desires of the flesh and sin find fresh graces of strength. It is in the unity of the household of God where the saints can find refuge in a haven from the storms that they experience in this life. It is because your presence is there. It is because that is the place where you pour out your grace upon your precious children. And it all comes from the permanent union that believers share with our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, and with that, we come before you this morning, and we ask that you would graciously forgive us, Lord, if we have in any way walked in a divisive manner, if perhaps we have allowed ourselves to be tempted in giving in into sin. Forgive us, Lord, if there has been a lovelessness in our hearts towards others, if there's been a coldness and indifference when it comes to serving the body of Christ, forgive us, Lord, for the ways that in which we may have been not walking consistently with the unity that you have called us to. But Lord, we're thankful because what binds us together is is the spirit that you have lavishly poured upon us. The spirit is the glue that holds us together. And even though sometimes we fail to walk in unity, there is a permanent union that is, could never be broken or torn apart because that union that we share with you doesn't depend upon us. But it depends only on you. And it is through that unity that we can walk in unity with one another. So as long as we have this union with Jesus Christ, we can continue to walk in unity with one another. Lord, would you help us? Help us in our own personal walk, in our own individual lives to pursue the means of grace that you have given to us, the means of grace of your word, the means of grace of prayer, and other disciplines of the Christian life so that we might be more equipped and willing and ready to serve your precious saints. 
and help us to pursue the means of grace corporately in the life of the church through fellowship, through taking communion, through serving and through gathering with the saints to the worship of Jesus Christ and the receiving of the word. Help us to pursue these means, Lord, as a way of maintaining our unity with one another and deepening our union and fellowship with Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, we pray for those who are struggling in their Christian walk. We pray for those who are weary and bogged down by the trials that they experience in this life, for those who need a fresh encouragement. Lord, we pray that you would graciously strengthen your precious saints. Keep them, Lord, from a debilitating kind of discouragement. We pray, Father, that you restore in your precious saints the joy of their salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remind them, Lord, of just how dear they are to you and that nothing can separate them from your great and enduring love. Father in heaven, I I pray for my family, I pray for my children, and I pray, Father, that you would continue to grow them in their love for Jesus Christ and deepen their knowledge of the Lord through the Word. Father, I confess that I have not been as consistent as I should be these past couple of weeks in family worship. Lord, would you help me to maintain that consistency? Father, I thank you for the the child, you are growing in my wife's womb, and I pray that you would continue to grow this precious one. Lord, give us, as a family, the grace to continue to work heartily unto the Lord, unto you, and unto and for the sake of your people. Father, we pray for the patents this morning as well. Father, we pray for, for Steve, that you would continue to give him wisdom as he continues to teach, and as he continues to uh, to be burdened uh, with the things that are happening in society and culture. Father, we pray that you would continue to give him your strength. We pray for our dear sister Susan, and you would continue to give her your grace and strength as she is with her, with her, her, her daughter and son-in-law and caring for her new grandson. Father, we pray that you would help staff to recover, Lord, from just the complications of giving birth. Father, we pray for Rochelle, who leaves next week for, for Israel. Father, would you go before her and protect her and keep her safe? We pray, Father, that you would show her yourself, that she might learn new things of you in this trip. Father, we pray that you might use her for your glorious purposes, and God, that you would return her safely. Father, we pray for our sister Ina. She continues to minister in the DR. Lord, continue to give her your grace to animate her and strengthen her for the work of the gospel as she continues to share the gospel with others, as she continues to teach children and work with staff in her place. Father, would you provide your hedge of protection around her life, her staff, the this ministry home and center that you have graciously provided for her. Lord, provide for every need that she has in Christ Jesus. 
Father, we pray, we continue to pray for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, strengthen the magnetism of the church. Lord, help us to be like the church that we see in the book of Acts, where many more upon many more are added to their number and they are growing in favor with the rest of the world. Father, would you make your church that much more attractional in the eyes of unbelievers that they might come, that they might see the fellowship of the saints, that they might hear and, and see the glory of Christ through the preaching of the word and as saints minister to one another, that they might come and see and behold and be saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for the many men and women who have and continue to serve our country through the military. And Father, we pray that your grace would sustain them. We pray for those who are currently serving now who are not in the pursuit of civilian things, but are, their time and energy are given to the work and the task at hand. Lord, would you strengthen them and encourage them and protect them? We pray for all of them, Lord, who serve in different ways, whether it's in the States or overseas that you would bless them in all that they do for our country. Father, we pray that for those who are struggling with PTSD and other mental illnesses, Lord, that they would receive the care that they need. Father, we pray for those loved ones who have lost dear friends or children or spouses who for them during this weekend might be a painful reminder of their loss. Lord, would you surround them, Lord, that they might be surrounded by a wealth of family and friends, that they might receive support, that they might receive encouragement, Lord, and that they might find comfort and hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And lastly, Lord, we pray for those in our church who work in the areas of administration of customer service of those whose tasks and responsibilities have to do with working with clients and meeting needs and meeting deadlines and assisting others. Lord, would you give them great patience? Would you give them your grace so they might be able to respond to stress well, so they might work well under pressure? that their patience and grace might be a light to those that they work with and even their customers and their clients and provide those gospel opportunities, Lord. Give them boldness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we entrust all of these requests to you, knowing that you hear us and looking forward to all that you are going to do. And we pray, Father, that you may continue to, to listen to us and be gracious to us as we also pray the prayer that you have taught us to pray in the scriptures, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would please turn with me to the book of Acts, 
We are in Acts chapter 4. We're finishing Acts chapter 4 this morning. Beginning at verse 32 and reading down to verse 37. We'll finish Acts chapter 4, and next week we'll begin a very short series of sermons on the topic of prayer, then followed by a couple of sermons on theology, doctrine, considering the things that we believe according to our statement of faith. And then that'll take us into the summer, where we will spend a bulk of that time going through the Psalms. So Acts chapter 4 beginning at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet." This is the word of the Lord. Father, the great grace that gave birth to the church is the grace that we continue to need. So we pray that you would be lavish towards us and dispense to us your great grace so that we might receive your word Lord, that I I might preach it rightly and that your grace would stir in us an appetite for the things of Christ and to give Christ glory through our community in the life of the church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been a Christian for long enough, then certainly you might have heard of a very common definition to the word grace, and that definition being undeserved favor or unmerited favor. And it's, it's an accurate definition. It's a very good definition, very concise definition. And we get that definition from different parts of the Bible. So for example, in the New Testament, in the book of Romans chapter 3, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but are justified by His grace as a gift. Or for example, Ephesians 2.5, where it tells us that even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So there is certainly this grace, this undeserved favor that comes to us on account of believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ when we recognize that we are sinners in the hands of a righteous God and we confess our sins before the Lord and God graciously gives us his grace. He forgives us of our sins, gives us eternal life so that we may not perish in our sins. But in the scriptures, 
there's a different use of the word grace so that it doesn't only mean undeserved favor, but it means, in some cases, something more. So, for example, in 2 Corinthians 9.8, it says there that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So we read here of a different kind of grace, a grace that God gives to his saints so that they may abound in every good work. Or take, for example, 1 Corinthians 15.10, where Paul there talks about his thorn in the flesh, and he says there about how God's grace is sufficient for him in his weaknesses. So there's a kind of grace that brings about salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. On the other hand, there's another kind of grace that is an animating kind of grace, an empowering kind of grace, a strengthening kind of grace that God gives to his people. And the connection between both is that you cannot have the second kind of grace apart from receiving the first kind of grace. It is the first kind of grace that gives us access to the empowering kind of grace that the saints need. And my point in this is that it is this kind of grace, it is the second kind of grace, this empowering kind of grace that we see at work in the life of the church in this section. Again, verse 33, it tells us, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So there was a particular kind of grace that God freely gave to his people, and it's this kind of grace that produces what we read here in this section. And so we see three things that grace produces. And the first is that grace, this empowering, strengthening kind of grace, produces a church that is knitted together. It is this grace that keeps the knot tight like pulling the two sides, two ends of a string with the knot in the middle, keeping that tension in place so that the knot stays tight. So in the same way, this kind of grace produces this knittedness in the life of the church and keeps it knit. And in the book of Acts, we see several things that characterizes this knitted togetherness in the life of the church. A church that is knitted together, that receives and is empowered by the grace of God, is a church that is devoted to the teaching of the church. In Titus 1, verse 1, it says there, Paul is servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. A church that is devoted to the teaching is also a church that is devoted to working or walking in godliness. We're not just after any kind of teaching, but we want a kind of teaching that lends itself to right living. It is right teaching that leads to right living, living in accordance to what God has prescribed in the scriptures. So in other words, we're not looking for just information transfer, but we're looking for the kind of information transfer that leads to character transformation. It's for this reason that one theologian says that doctrine is living for God in Christ. We seek to learn so that we may live rightly before the Lord. It is teaching 
It is doctrine. It is right teaching that helps us to fulfill God's greatest commandment for every believer, and that is to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. And it is teaching that must rightly engage the affections, the inclinations, the will. Right, so we're not after simply appealing to the senses, the passions, the feelings of men. But no, we're looking for the affections to be reached by first passing through the gate of knowledge. Otherwise, you get to a different kind of faith that produces a different kind of faith, the kind of which we read in John 2.23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name, in the name of Jesus, when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Why did Jesus refuse to entrust himself to this particular group of people who believed in his name? Because they exemplified a spurious kind of faith or a fickle kind of faith, the kind of faith that believes in Jesus only for the benefits of Jesus or only believing in Jesus for only what they could get out of Jesus and not truly believing in Jesus for who he was first and foremost. It is that kind of faith that doesn't last. It is that kind of faith that never endures. It is that kind of faith that actually has striking similarities to demonic faith. Because even the demons believe in Jesus. The difference is that they will not submit to Jesus as Lord. It is that kind of faith that Jesus sees in these individuals. And it is that kind of faith that we are to be cautious about. And what helps us to prevent ourselves from having only that kind of faith is devoting ourselves to right teaching that leads to right living to the glory of Christ. Something else that characterizes the church that is knitted together is a devotion to fellowship. These things I take from Acts chapter 2 and the things that the first church devoted themselves to. The fellowship of the church ought to be patterned after the fellowship of the Trinity, where there's perfect harmony, perfect unity, perfect fellowship. We see some semblance of this kind of unity within the Trinity in John 3.34, where it tells us that the Father, God the Father, loves the Son, has given all things into His hand. The Scriptures identify the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, as the God of the Paraclete, the Helper, the Comforter. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Helper, all working in unison, perfect harmony, perfect fellowship with one another. So we take our cue, we take our example from the fellowship of the Trinity. Not only that, but the church draws this example from Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 4 It says there, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So we ought to look to the interests of others. 
And this is the kind of mind that we ought to have. Considering the example of Jesus Christ, right? He did not only consider his own interests, but he certainly considered the interests of others, namely you and I, that he would leave that perfect harmony and unity of the fellowship, leave the glories of heaven to come down into this earth, be robed in finiteness, in human frailty, live as one of us, and his great interest in us ultimately took him to the cross where he died and received the just punishment that you and I deserve for our sins so that when we believe in Christ, instead we receive forgiveness of our sins and the grace of God and eternal life. So we draw our example from Jesus Christ and all these things help us in our being knit together. Charles Spurgeon had once said that communion is strength, solitude is weakness. In the forest, supporting each other, the trees laugh at the hurricane. The sheep of Jesus flock together. The social element is the genius of Christianity. The church also devotes herself to the breaking of bread. This includes communion, but more than anything, it actually points to hospitality, table fellowship, having a meal with one another. I mean, consider, consider your home. Inviting someone into your home, having a meal with, something, with someone, is not something insignificant. Because your home, your home is sort of your, your, your place of refuge. It's a place that you are probably most comfortable in, where you are your most truest self. You go to your home to seek haven and refuge from the stress and the trials of life and work and everything outside of your home. Your home becomes sort of like this castle surrounded by a moat. You don't just let anyone in. But when you open the gates and you let the, the bridge come down, giving access to others to cross the moat into your castle. It means a great deal. It communicates a sense of trust. It communicates a sense of transparency, and even it communicates a sign of love. A church that is knitted together is also devoted to prayer. And why is that? Because Prayer communicates a humble dependence upon the Lord. It isn't that what should characterize the Christian life. If we are to receive any kind of strength, any animating power, any encouragement in life and in ministry, it's going to primarily come through prayer. The devil may with ease be able to lift up a great stone and intends to hurl it at the church of Jesus Christ, causing, intending to, to raise it and cause it calamity. But weak saints in prayer can cause the devil to tremble and shudder and even drop the great stone on himself, thereby showing that weak saints on their knees are much stronger than even the powers of hell. Any power that we are to receive, any strength that we are to receive, is going to primarily come through prayer. Seeking, knocking, asking, pleading, begging for the Lord's grace to cover us and sustain us. 
Now, which is first, the chicken or the egg? Right? Which one comes first? Is it the grace of God that produces this kind of church, or is it the church that devotes herself to these things that then results or then produces this kind of grace or attracts the, the, the grace of God to come and be poured out upon them? Now, certainly it is the grace of God and the gospel that sort of kick-starts the engine in the first place. But each feeds into the other. It is the grace of God when he lavishly pours out this animating and empowering grace that then enables the church to devote herself to these things. But it is also the church, when she devotes herself to these things, that she shows herself to be filled with the grace of God. The shining face of God is always shining upon His church. And even in dark days, when there are dark clouds that cover the sky, even the sun is so bright that it still shines through the dark clouds, and it still is able to give off some of its warmth. But when a church devotes herself to these things, it has a way of dispelling and moving the clouds away more and more and further and further away, revealing the bright blue sky and making the shining face of God shine that much more brilliantly upon the life of the church. Grace produces a church that is knitted together. And secondly, grace produces a church that preaches the gospel. We see here that this church were of one heart and soul, showing their knitted togetherness. And it tells us that they continued, the apostles continued to give powerfully their testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as you might remember from last week, the church came together after the apostles were arrested and threatened and charged not to preach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. So they go to the church and they pray together. They ask for boldness and God gives them boldness. And they continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ with all boldness. And we see that they continue to do so because the grace of God is animating them to do so. As you might also remember last week that the church has two main priorities, one of those being to go out, fulfill the Great Commission, go, preach the gospel, evangelize to the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name, the Son, Father, and Holy Spirit, teaching the world to observe the commandments of Jesus Christ. A church that is filled with the grace of God is a church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the church preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, it shows God's favor upon his church. That is why one of the aims, or my aim every Sunday morning, is to preach to you the word of God anchored in the Word of God. Right? And my hope and desire for you is that you come each week hungry, with an appetite to receive the Word of God, to receive a good, nourishing, hearty meal with your steak and potatoes. Right? Not a fluffy meal, not a bunch of stories, not a watering down of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but a message that is centered in Jesus Christ. And sometimes, right, we would rather just skip to the dessert, 
and had the dessert. I mean, had the dessert all day long, but you and I both know that having dessert all day long is not going to be nutritious. It's not going to sustain us. In fact, it's only going to cause us to be sick. But you need a balanced meal. Your body needs a balanced meal, and so your spiritual self needs a balanced meal of the Word of God. But how is the preaching of the gospel a display of God's favor upon the church? Right? And we seek to preach the gospel. We seek to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified because it is the way of, God, of our appealing to the Lord. Lord, give us your grace this morning as we meet. But it is also a grace, a sign of the grace of God and the preaching of the gospel because it takes a measure of boldness to preach the gospel. Right? And that is why I always covet your prayers to preach the gospel and preach the message of the cross and preach the counsel of the Lord according to the scriptures because the times are making it much more challenging. I mean, there may come a day when I could be in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it, can, it takes boldness to preach the gospel, to preach the word each week. It takes boldness to go out and evangelize and share the counsel of the Lord. And that's why we pray for boldness. We pray for the grace of God. And when we go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter the context, no matter where we go, this is a display of God's favor. It's also a display of God's favor when we preach the gospel because it is an appeal of God. Corinthians tells us that when we go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is God's way of making an appeal through us to the unbeliever, to the sinner, be reconciled to God. Come to Christ. Be saved. Do not perish with the world and, and, it, and its desires. But seek salvation in Jesus Christ. When we preach the gospel, it is a display of the favor and grace of God upon the life of the church because whether or not man receives it, it is still the declaration of the love of God. Our declaring the love of God comes to the preaching of the gospel. Another way in which the grace of God is on display when the church preaches the gospel, we see in Matthew twenty-four fourteen, where it says there, "In this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come." It is the grace of God when the church preaches the gospel because then the church will be doing its part and trying to hasten the day of Christ's return. The grace produces a church that is knitted together. It produces a church that preaches the gospel. And thirdly, grace produces a church that gives generously. We see here that there was not a needy person and we're talking here thousands, thousands of believers in this one church, and not a single person was in need because they had all things in common. You had people with land, with more than one home, selling their proceeds, selling the land, selling their houses, and giving the money 
to the apostles to distribute it freely to those in need. And it is not necessarily intended to be prescriptive. It's not a commandment to sell all your belongings. Now, of course, you have to take care of your own family first and foremost. But at the very least, we learn here the great heart of the church towards one another. As I said also last week, that one of the second main priority of the church is to grow up in Christ, to mature, to become more and more like Christ. In Ephesians 4.15, it says, or rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, who is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The church is headed by Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Any grace any nourishment, any vitality, any energy that the church receives, it receives downward from the head who is Jesus Christ. But this also happens when each part in the body is working properly. And we can devote a whole entire sermon to what it means for the body, for each part to be working properly. I mean, that has everything to do with prayer. That has everything to do with walking in holiness and repentance. That has to do with serving in different ways but it is when each part is working properly that it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We work together when each part is working properly so that we are working in community, in fellowship, as we seek to grow up in Christ. And growing up in Christ is never apart from service. And it is the head and the body that work together in this process of maturity. Now, the focus here in each part working properly, as I try to sort of anchor that passage into what we're reading in this passage in Acts 4, is in the act of giving. Which then necessarily brings to the topic of, of tithing. Now, tithing is one of those subjects, whether it's teaching in a Sunday school, whether it's preaching on a Sunday sermon, that is like chewing and trying to swallow Brussels sprouts or something like that. You might like Brussels sprouts, that's fine. It's not a very tasteful subject, it's the point I'm trying to make. But it's a necessary subject. And I, I mentioned these things. I guess what I'm going to say from here on forward, don't take it as a correction, don't take it as a rebuke. In fact, part of the reason why I actually find this topic easy to discuss or to share with you is because the church, like you, give generously. And you give faithfully. And so when you have a church that gives generously and faithfully, it's much easier to talk on that subject so don't receive this as sort of a correction or rebuke. But what I seek to do is just give you some knowledge and understanding that hopefully will just continue to encourage you and animate you in giving. Tithing in the Old Testament, we see that the commandment was to give 10%. Every Israelite was required to give 10% of what they had, of what they produced, for at least three different purposes. One purpose was for the temple, 
to take care of the temple grounds. A second purpose was to care for the Levites, the priests. Right? They could not have work or jobs outside of the temple. Their temple was their job. Ministering to the Lord on behalf of the people was their job. They, were not even, they could not even own lands. But the proceeds came from the generosity of the people. And thirdly, it was also to provide for the poor in the land. Not the entire land in the world, but the land of the people of Israel. Now, these same purposes, I believe, still carry into the New Testament with one exception. We consider tithing in the Old Testament 10%. What we see here in this example in Acts 32, 432-37, is that clearly there were believers who gave a lot more than 10%. I mean, they were selling houses. They were selling lands. and took the money and gave it to the church to provide for those who were in need so that no one in the church suffers want. Paul clarifies sort of the New Testament kind of tithing. If you can call it tithing, it's probably better to identify it as offering. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In taking someone through membership, I walk somebody through this passage and talking about tithing and offering. And it says here, what are the requirements for offering? One is that you have to have decided in your heart. Whether that's looking at your budget, whether it's deciding with your spouse, which you probably do, prayerfully deciding, that's one. Secondly, to not do so reluctantly. So in other words, if you're putting a gift on the altar or in the box or about to click the give button on the website and you are reluctant, you're hesitant, you're wondering, I'm not really sure if I should, this might be too much, I'm not sure if I can cover my bills or whatever the case might be. If there's any reluctance, don't give. Perhaps consider giving less if you feel more peaceful about it. Thirdly, do not do it under compulsion. Don't do it because somebody forced you to. Don't, tell you, don't do it because somebody is telling you or convicting you to, to give $3,000 or to give 30% of your income. Don't do it under compulsion. You need to be able to do it freely. And then lastly, you have to be able to do it cheerfully. So that if you cannot give it cheerfully, then don't give it at all. Whatever prevents you from giving cheerfully, figure out what the issue is first, and then give. The early church, as they gave to one another and sought to meet the needs of one another, may have actually been motivated by something that the apostles certainly, probably all the Jews as well, I mean, growing up under doctrine and teaching of the rabbis would have known this passage most likely. And that passage is Deuteronomy 15.4, where it says there, There will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. Verse 7, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, 
you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Verse 10, you shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there would never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. So it seems that these early Christians were essentially trying to fulfill this commandment in Deuteronomy 15. So we learned from the scriptures that there are several reasons why the church should continue to give generously to the church, whether that's 2%, 5%, 10%, 20%, whatever you have decided in your heart. In the scriptures, we see that there are several reasons. One is to meet the needs within the church, so that there is no person within the church, within that community of believers that is suffering want, who do not have their basic necessities met. Secondly, it is to take care of the temple, or in our case, the building. And whatever the size of the building, whatever that is, it's depending on each church. It's a different topic for a different conversation another time. But giving helps to maintain the building of the church. And the building is incredibly important in the life of the church for several reasons. One, because it, it provides a place for the centrality of teaching and preaching. It gives the saints a place to meet with, a central location. It makes it easier to invite people as opposed to having, say, multiple house churches that meet on the same day or the same time or in different times or in different days of the week. It makes the job of elders and pastors and even deacons easier as well. It gives the church an opportunity to participate together when there is a baptism. It gives the church an opportunity to participate together in communion as opposed to the church being spread in different locations at the same time. It prevents the church from being too clicky and just gravitating towards the people that they see with on a weekly basis and only those individuals. And I think that it should also, hopefully, bolster our faith and encouragement when we see the whole church gathered together on the same day, at the same hour, in the same location to the worship and glory of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we give generously to the church to support those who labor in preaching and teaching. 1 Timothy 5.17 says that the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Right, thanks to your faithfulness and generosity, I don't have to find a second job to maintain the needs of my family to where I can devote myself to the, the preaching and the teaching and other gospel ministry in the life of the church. Not only that, but your giving generously helps to compensate for other individuals who serve in the life of the church in sort of different and challenging and even in unique ways. Right, your giving helps us to be able to compensate for someone like Shira, who provides the bookkeeping of the church, which I have come to find out that bookkeeping is not a skill that many people have and many people do not desire to have. It also provides a means of compensating 
someone to devote them to be devoted to administration, right, such as Brooke does for the life of the church, so that Jay and I, and especially Jay, do not have to worry about many of those tasks and be able to devote ourselves to other things in the life of the church. Giving generously to the church also provides for us to be able to compensate for Brother Edwan and his leadership in leading us in worship on Sunday mornings, which is a great deal, which is a great task and requires a lot of time and energy and practice that he takes out of his days and his weeks that he could be spending doing something else at a hobby or spending with family or perhaps going to bed at a reasonable hour. All for the life of the church to be able to support his family. Another reason why we ought to continue to give generously to the church is because it provides us the means to be able to care for other struggling churches. Like we were able to do last year with a church that was a like-minded church that was focused on church planting, but then came to the end of the year and were looking that they were going to have a deficit. So we and other churches as well pulled our resources together to help this church in need. That is why we give generously to the life of the church. But let's suppose that there are no other struggling churches. Let us suppose that every need in the church is met. Let us suppose, which is certainly the case, that my needs are provided for generously. I have no needs and whatever else. That there are other, no other needs to care for. Why else should you continue to give generously to the life of the church? And one other last reason is because we cannot predict the future. Even if we have excess and it sits in a bank account, praise the Lord for that because we never know what to expect. I mean, what if this time next year, 50% of you lose your income and you have no means of supporting your families, then we are able to withdraw funds to be able to take care of one another. First John 3:17, "If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? We seek to give generously because we do not want it to be said to have this said of us, that the love of God is not abiding in us because we fail to meet the needs of one another. What we learn from the first, this church in the book of Acts is that the church is characterized by a disattachment from earthly possessions and characterized instead by an attachment to the family of God. And this becomes one of the distinguishing marks of the church. The church has decided that not a single one of its members shall suffer once, but each person shall have their needs met and provided for. And when we consider what Christ has freely given unto us, without working towards it. Considering the great sacrifices that he has made on our behalf so that he may lavishly give to us the grace of God and the gifts of God that comes through the Spirit, how then can we not in turn give generously to those in need and support those in need? And this becomes one of the chief displays of the grace of God in the life of the church. The grace of God produces a church that is knitted together, that preaches the gospel, and that gives generously. With that being said, 
Let us respond to the word by taking communion together. If you haven't done so yet, there are these small cups in the back table. You're free to grab one at this time. And the Lord Jesus has given to us the bread and the cup, has given to us this, this meal, this communion, as a reminder to us of the great sacrifice that Christ has given for our sake, looking to our interests, even going so far as to die on the cross for our sins. Let this be a reminder to us of the grace of God that He freely gives in the life of His people. The Lord Jesus has given this, this meal, this communion, to all those who have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and have admitted their lives to Jesus as their Savior, whose lives are characterized by a pattern of righteousness, and who have also received baptism. Anyone who is characterized by these things is considered to be part of the covenant community and are invited to take this meal together, regardless of whether or not you feel worthy enough to take this meal. And let me just tell you, none of us are worthy to take this meal. But Jesus invites us anyway, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what he has done. He invites us to take, to eat, and drink as a precious reminder to us that every single one of our sins have been paid for by his precious blood. So you can take this meal confidently and boldly. But if you have yet to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Bible makes clear that you are still outside of this covenant community because you have not yet been united to Jesus Christ by faith, the great news of the gospel is that Jesus is inviting you to believe in him today, to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to call out to him as Savior, to entrust your life into his precious and caring hands, so that you may be spared from the just penalty that your sins deserve, so that you may not perish eternally in your sins, but instead receive eternal life with Jesus Christ today can be the day of your salvation by believing and trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you'll be invited to take this meal as a brother or sister in Christ. But don't do it yet, apart from believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe in him, and then you can take this meal and be filled with his grace. We're going to take the bread and then take the cup. Before we do so, let us take a moment to silently reflect, talk to the Lord, pray to the Lord. If there are any sins that you need to confess, confess them before the Lord, but also trust in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So let us take a moment, just pause, pray to the Lord and reflect.
we're going to take the bread and the cup, and as if we've done before, as we take the bread, I will say to you that this is the bread, this is the body of Christ bruised for you, and we'll do this likewise with the cup, where I will say this is the blood of Jesus shed for you, and you will in turn repeat the body of Christ bruised for me and the blood of Jesus Christ shed for me. So let's take the bread. Brothers and sisters, the body of Jesus Christ bruised for you. The body of Christ bruised for me. In the same way also, let us take the cup. Brothers and sisters, the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. The blood of Jesus Christ shed for me. Jesus, we thank you for our time together this morning. Father, we take this meal knowing that the presence of Christ is with us and using this meal as a means of grace to our souls. Lord, we may not necessarily feel any different, but Lord, Help us to believe that you are using this for your glorious purposes and for the good of our souls. Lord, please, please continue to lavishly give us your grace, this strengthening grace, this empowering, this animating grace. that causes us, that produces in us this being knit together, that causes us to preach the gospel with all boldness, that energizes us to continue to give generously to meet one another's needs. Help us in these things. We trust you for these things. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand. Um, In response of today's message, let us us sing one more song together and worship. Amen. Amazing grace.
this morning that your grace may empower your church as we heard in today's message Lord God give us give us an appetite a hunger a boldness to in your favor preach the gospel of Jesus Christ Father, may we be a church that is knitted together as we heard today, Lord, living together, working together, praying together, gathering together, growing together by the grace of God. 
Father, thank you for this church. And Father, you, Lord, have given much. So may we continue to give generously as you have blessed us. Lead our hearts, Lord, to, to love, to give, to share, to preach, all for the glory of your name, Father, by the grace of God that we can do these things. You're worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Church, God bless you. You're dismissed. Amen.